something we hope you'll really like. All right, so we are back for another episode of the podcast, and uh, today we thought we would talk about breast stuff. Now, we spent a lot of time on butt stuff the last time, so we thought we would do an introduction to breast. Uh, breast surgery is probably the most expansive area of plastic surgery, and um, each procedure itself we could probably do like an hour on. So we thought we would sort out the mess for you with this episode, help people figure out what procedure they might actually want on their breasts. And then you can kind of take a deeper dive with uh, the additional episodes that we'll record about each procedure over time. Yeah, so I think if you're someone who's wondering what procedure you want for your breasts, or you're wondering how a plastic surgeon looks at breast surgery, um, when we're evaluating a breast, this is the episode for you. Like we said, we're not going to, we're probably going to divide each specific surgery into various episodes, but uh, probably the most common source of confusion among uh, my requests for consultation is, you know, do I need a lift? Do I just need an augmentation? Do I need a reduction? So those, or a combination of those three. And I think it, we're going to try and simplify that for you today. Mm -hmm. And my favorite is this new reductive augmentation that some people are doing. Uh, <laughs> so maybe we could talk about how insane that is at the end. Right. And then all, I guess also if we're going to be totally complete is fat transfer to the breast. Yes. Include that as the fourth one. So maybe let's just start off with um, what do you look at when someone comes to you with a breast consultation or with, um, you know, saying, I don't like the way my breast looks. Help me, Dr. Plant. <laughs> um, I definitely don't start by saying, tell me what you don't like about yourself. <laughs> um, but I do ask a lot of questions. I think with breast surgery, it's all about the questions almost before I've even examined the patient. I think I kind of have an idea of what they're looking for based on the 10 million questions I'll ask them. So, you know, the first thing that I always kind of do is just open up the floor and say like, what specifically bothers you about your breasts? And that's when, you know, I'll get a sense of, oh, they're too small, they're too big, they're too saggy, they're deflated. Mm -hmm. Sometimes there's just the, I don't know, I just don't like them. Mm -hmm. And that yeah. always makes it fun. I, I think that's an excellent way to begin. And I think for people who maybe don't understand the terms, we should define them. So, you know, a breast augmentation in the simplest terms is, is increasing the size of the breast. And so if, if you had reported to Dr. Plant or myself that you didn't like, they're too small, then we're going to put you in the augmentation category. If we're talking about a mastopexy, that's a, a, our fancy word for a breast lift. That's if your breasts are too saggy or um, have kind of uh, descended lower than they used to be on your chest. And then the third one is a reduction, which is uh, what the name implies is reducing the size of your breast. And then do you want to define the combinations? Ooh, um, so we really can combine any of these procedures depending right. on what the problem is. And a lot of the time people need a combination procedure. I think the most confusing thing that I find with patients is the difference between a lift and a reduction mm -hmm. and the fact that they think there really is one. Um, so what I'm always explaining to patients is that a lift and a reduction is basically the exact same surgery. The question is, do we take some of the tissue and reposition it on the chest to just lift what you have, or do we take some of it out? And it's easy to answer that question. All I say is 
do you want your breasts to be the same size or smaller? Mm -hmm. And very straightforward for us to go ahead, you know, from that point on. Um, yeah, I have, a, I, have the get, same, I have the same issue with my patients where they're almost scared of the reduction when I say reduction because a lot of my patients love their breast size. Uh, even if, if they have neck and back pain, they just love the size. And so when I say, listen, the reduction in, includes a lift, so don't worry about that. But yes, if you want to keep your same size, then you just do the lift, which again is usually almost the same scar pattern for a given breast. Um, mm -hmm. uh, but that's, that's a good thing to clarify for people that a reduction always includes the lift. It's just the reduction means you're taking some breast tissue out. Whereas with the lift, you stop at the lift part and you don't remove any tissue. Oh, you, you, you remove some skin, but not breast tissue. Like minimal. Um, I do always tell patients you're going to lose possibly a cup size when we do the lift, not because we've taken out any breast tissue, but it seems that when women get sized for bras in stores, the sizing person always goes up a size to account for sort of having to like scoop up the breasts that are hanging down low. So once we take that skin out, usually they go down a cup size and I always tell them ahead of time because I don't want them to come back and you know say you stole a cup. Can we rant about breast cup size right now? Is this the moment? Sure. <laughs> because why not? You know, a lot of um, women probably know this is that, you know, one bra brand C is not another bra brand C. You go to La Senza, I don't know if they're still around. You get a C or you go to no. Nike, it, you know, they're a D. So you guys need to realize that there is no standardization of bra cup size. It's not scientific. It's not like a centimeter in Europe is a centimeter in North America. A centimeter is standardized. Cup size is not. So I agree with, with Matt uh, is that I hate promising cup sizes. I usually say, listen, you're going to go down one or you're going to go up one or, or something. But I hate to promise a cup size because they're, they're not scientific. Yeah, absolutely. I always kind of ask in terms of that because it's sort of what patients know. Mm -hmm. But then I make it clear that like, okay, I know you told me you want a D cup. I don't want you to look at the actual cup size after. That just gives me a sense. You're telling me you're a B now, you wanna be a D. I know you wanna go up about two cup sizes. That just kind of gives me a sense of how much bigger you wanna be. But don't expect to go into a store and be exactly a D cup afterwards. There's no way for us to predict that. Yes. With the bra size. Go ahead. I, I, I like the way you approach that is, 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 you know, when the, I use the cup size. So when, when you guys go to your plastic surgeon and you're asking for a cup size, keep this in, in consideration. How we look at cup size is not the, kind of the same as you look at cup size, but we like to use your language. So we'll, we'll, we'll say, yes, we'll go. We will agree with the direction of cup sizes, but pinning down to an exact one is very difficult because cup sizes are not standard. Yeah, totally. You could go to Victoria's Secret, get measured by one person, come back an hour later, a different person measures you and you're a totally different bra size. But I will shout out uh, bra, you know, there's specialists who do bra sizing. Yeah, They are amazing. And they have helped a lot of my patients with larger breast sizes. So those people are, are amazing and they can help if you have difficulty finding a cup size, but just realize that they would probably say the same thing we're saying was, you know, brands are all over the place and there's no uh, rhyme or reason to why some brands call something a C or call something a D. So that anyway, that's the end of the cup size rant and we can get back on what we are talking about. <laughs> <laughs> I think actually with the cups, <laughs> sorry to circle back, but patients find it interesting that there is like a standardized way of 
determining cup size that just nobody uses. I don't know if you remember back, you know, from residence and oh, residency is. when we were studying these things, you know, for the written exam that are absolutely useless in real life, but kind of interesting facts. Um, like true cup size was always measured in the differential between, you know, the part that sticks out of the chest the most and the rib cage. So, you know, you measure around the rib cage, it's 36, 32, 34, those are like the most common ones. And then, you know, they're supposed to measure around the most projected part of the breast. And then the difference is your cup size. So one inch, you're an A cup, two inches, you're a B cup, ah. C cup but nobody measures like that. So, you know, totally destandardized. And once you're getting into breasts that have a little droop to them, you don't have a most projected point. You have a breast that's just sort of coming down the chest, but technically there is a standard way to do it. Just well, one of those useless write, facts out there. We have to write a strongly worded letter to all the uh, breast manufacturers. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm gonna go talk to Victoria and tell her the secret is out. Okay, so now we've right. ranted about cup sizes. And you're, you're, pa you're a patient and you're like, okay, now I know cup sizes are all over the place. Doctor, you know, I've had three kids. My breasts are a little droopy now and I want a breast augmentation. But my nipples are, you know, pointing down to the floor and I'm deflated. But I just want an augmentation because I don't want the scar uh, uh, for the breast lift. What do you do when, when someone says that? Because I get that a lot. Yeah. Um, well, once I kind of, you know, pick my stomach up off the floor, <laughs> um, knowing that this is going to be a very challenging case, um, I try and just explain to patients in as much detail as possible, like why I think this lift is necessary, why I think that they should be willing to trade the scar for what they have right now. And, you know, each breast is different, but you know, what you're describing to me sounds like someone who's going to get that classic waterfall deformity. Mm -hmm. And uh, for those of you that don't know, waterfall deformity is when the breast tissue is hanging off of the implant like a waterfall. Mm -hmm. um, we will definitely get more into that with our uh, future episodes. Yeah. But, uh, you know, with those patients, I really do try and explain to them why they need a lift. In some cases, if it's, you know, on the border, then I'm willing to do the case if they understand the nipples are going to be a little bit low. But there are times where I will just, I'll turn down the case because I know that if all we do is an augmentation, it's going to look horrible and the patient is going to be even more unhappy than they are now. And they paid to be that unhappy, yes. which just adds insult situation. to injury. So, so guys, if you're, if you're looking at your breasts in the mirror and your nipples are pointing forward, like when you were young, you know, as a teenager, your, when your breasts start development, the nipples are pointing forward in most cases. We're not going to get into breast deformities right now, but right. let's say your average breasts, the nipples are pointing forward, then you probably don't need a lift. As soon as you age breastfeed um, and different life changes that occur, the nipples can start pointing down. And the degree of them pointing down are kind of what we, we were talking about. I gave uh, Matt the most extreme example where the nipples are pointing down to the floor. And then for sure, you need a breast lift. There's almost nothing we can do that's going to improve your breast shape unless we start with a lift. Um, yeah. If your breasts are pointing forward then, and you've never breastfed, you've never had any massive weight changes, then you may be a candidate for just an augmentation. And then the, yeah, last, the, the last one is a situation where you have a lot of breasts. And so there's, 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 there's kind of a fork in the road. If you're looking at your breasts and you're like, these are just too big and I want to reduce them. 
um, there's, there's two ways we can go about this. If they're really, really large, so not only is there excess breast tissue, but there's tons of extra skin, then we might need to do a wise pattern scar, which is the classic anchor. And if they're smaller uh, sized, they're, they're large, but they're not like super large. And this is kind of going to vary from surgeon to surgeon, their comfort level with techniques. Oh, yeah. Then we can do a vertical lift, which is probably my preferred technique because of the less scar. Same. Um, but that's kind of just the overall picture. And then maybe what we could talk about is how do we choose between them or how do we recommend one over the other for patients? Yeah. So, I mean, for me, it's a pretty straightforward, you know, decision tree. It kind of starts with, I don't like my breasts. Mm -hmm. And then we go to, you know, too big, too small, just mm -hmm. the right size, you know, three little bears kind of thing. Yep. And, um, you know, if they're too small, then we start talking about ways to make them bigger. If they're too big, we start talking about ways to make them smaller. If they're the right size, then we kind of go on to, well, what does bother you about them then? Mm -hmm. Usually if the size is an issue, it's just, I find them saggy is what they'll say. And then a lift is your clear answer. Um, it's when we start to get yes to multiple of those questions um you know they're they're not big enough and they're saggy right so all we do is combine the procedure that answers each of those questions saggy breasts needs a lift small breasts needs some sort of augment so lift with augment um then you can kind of get into are we going to do it with an implant are we going to go saline silicone are we going to do fat grafting um you can kind of go down that whole rabbit hole and uh you know if they say the breasts are too big, it's a reduction. And then we just have to figure out which reduction pattern we're going to use. Like you said, my go-to also the lollipop lift as yes. it's called online or the vertical mastopexy as it's called as conferences. Yeah. Um, a lot of surgeons don't do that one though. They so do the, they do the, the periareolar or the donut lift as, as it's called. Is that what you mean? Like well, there's that, the but there's also like the Ys. Um, mm -hmm. The Ys seems to be the North American lift, uh, just based on the way people are trained. Uh, a lot of anchor lifts out there. But uh, I don't know that this is the episode to kind of dive deep into that. Well, I think um, if, we, if we stick to looking at it from someone who doesn't know what breast surgery they want. So we've kind of given, yeah. you've, you've done a good job of saying, you know, kind of how you decide between the techniques I've given kind of an overview. So I think what we should also talk about is a woman who's all, who's already had breast surgery and now she's kind of not unhappy with her results. And so how do you approach that patient or this patient who's listening to this podcast being like, well, I had our augmentation now and I don't like the way my breasts look. Yeah. So that one, cause it's caught, this is as common Ooh. I find as the, as prime. So guys, when you're when you're first time breast surgery patient, we call you a primary. Uh, and if you are have already had some breast surgery, then you're a secondary. And a secondary is always more difficult um, because of various reasons. But basically, if you've had a surgery and you're not happy with it, that makes it that much harder for the next surgeon or same surgeon uh, to fix it yeah. and make it better. I, most surgeons won't even look at other people's patients. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because revision breast surgery is so difficult um, because I'm a sucker for punishment. I love it. But, can I, can uh, I tell a funny, not even, it's not a funny, I don't want to use the word funny because it wasn't funny for the patient, but can I tell you an interesting breast revision story that I had recently? 
and I've never seen this before. I never saw this in Canada. I think this is an American thing. I had a patient, uh, and this will also be my rant against uh, awake plastic surgery. I had a patient who had a breast augmentation awake, submuscular. And so guys, we'll get into this uh, at some other episode, but you can put the (laughs) implants below the muscle or above the muscle. And she was very unhappy because the implants were um, in her armpits, basically. And she had a very wide, uh, she had no cleavage. Um, And I was kind of trying to figure out, I'm like, what did this uh, previous surgeon do? And I was like, you know what I think he did is because she was awake, he didn't cut through the pec because that would have been extremely painful. And so he just kind of did a half job where he put the implant correctly under the pec, but by not cutting the pec, the implants were pushed into the armpit. And so that was just the diagnosis from the pictures and from talking with her. And then when I went in there, guess what I saw? The pec was completely attached. It had not been detached at all. And the implants had been pushed completely laterally. So, you know, blah, blah, there was a lot of complex surgical stuff I had to do. But this is just my rant against wide awake surgery. uh, And especially in breast surgery, don't do it because there's no way with our current technology that you can get as comfortable, the patient as comfortable as they need to be in order to do what needs to be done with breast surgery. And I don't know how I got into that rant, but uh, basically (laughs) don't do wide awake plastic surgery for breast surgery. I have seen a couple patients who in the US had like awake breast procedures and what they describe does not sound um, like it would make, uh, uh, let's say it would follow international law about torture. <laughs> yeah, so that was the other thing she said to me is that she, she had, it was a horrible experience in terms of her um, you know, pain control and the stress of the procedure. So I don't think this is gonna last. I, I think a wide awake breast surgery is probably like a fad thing because it sounds cool. You, you can avoid the risk it's of anesthesia. So the patient kind of likes that. It's also cheaper for the surgeon because they can, they don't have to pay an anesthesiologist. But I think given the results that I've seen and given the poor patient experience, it's, it's going to not last. Yeah, I suspect it's not even actual surgeons that are doing it. I think it's similar to the lipo uh, where dermatologists invented um, awake liposuction, which is actually a reasonable procedure that we can keep yeah. comfortable for. Yeah. But for I'm willing to bet it is non-surgeons with no access to an operating room that have started doing this awake breast surgery. But based on my knowledge of the anatomy, there are no nerve blocks that you can do to keep no. somebody comfortable. Imagine cutting through the. We're, we're getting we're getting a little surgical here. We're gonna yeah, yeah. <laughs> let's let's pull it back. So the the the, the patient. Let's talk about you guys who are listening. The patient who's had a previous breast surgery. So I just gave you a horror story. Um, so mm. you know, not everyone's going to have that bad of an outcome. But you know, I think more common is someone who had maybe a breast implant 20 years ago, and now gravity and life changes have now made this implant very saggy. So, uh, or not the implant saggy, but the breast saggy with the implant. So how do you approach these patients, or what what do you recommend to that kind of a patient? Um, when it comes to complex stuff like that, you know, it really is a case by case basis. Um, you know, sometimes the implants stay up on the chest and the breast comes down. Sometimes the implant comes down with the breast and it's, you know, different fixes for all of those. Um, at the end of the day, it's going to be some sort of a lift that we do, but do we need to secure the implant in one way or another so that it's not pulling on the skin? Um, do we need to release the implant because someone put it totally submuscular and it's sitting up here and it looked fine before breastfeeding? 
but now the breast is down here. So that one gets pretty, you know, complex, but my sort of approach to it is like really carefully try and break it up into components. Like what are the multiple things that are adding up to the appearance that I see and how do we correct each of those things individually? And then we've got our surgical plan, but sometimes it's like 10 or 15 things that we need to do to fix this. Yeah. So as you guys may be understanding, revision breast surgery or doing a second breast surgery can become very complex. So I guess this is my plug for go to a board certified plastic surgeon and go to a plastic mm -hmm. surgeon who does revision breast surgery. You know, I see tons of Instagram surgeons who have great results and, you know, but primary surgery is a completely different game than the secondary surgery. Um, so that's my plug for that. And now what about, let's talk about fat transfer. Cause I get asked a lot about this. And if you're listening to this podcast, you're like, well, I want larger breasts or I want a little bit more volume and I want fat transfer. Cause that's my own tissues. I don't need an implant. Uh, this is safe in the butt. Everyone is getting fat in the butt with great results. So what about my breast doctor? Can we just take some of that fat and put it in my breast? Yeah. What's, so how do you approach a patient like that that comes in? Um, you know, how do you talk to them about you may want an implant versus you're okay for fat. What's your, yeah. what's your approach? So I kind of do what you're doing. I'm like, what, what exactly are, are, are you looking for? If you're looking for an, a really, ex, uh, you know, um, big change in your breast size, then you need to go with an implant. Yeah. A fat as we currently do it in the breast is only going to give a modest natural augmentation. If you're doing one stage, you know, in order to get to what an implant would do, you may need, two or three stages. And that's not really economical for most people. Uh, and then the second thing I see is I need to look at your photos and see if you need a lift or not, because oftentimes it's women who really need a lift or have no volume and they want to do fat. And then I'm like, no, no, no. you like, I don't think you're going to get the volume you are looking for from fat. And we need to do a lift, which is, it, you know, makes it more complicated. You should do within a, like a, a classic augmentation mastopexy with an implant. But if you're someone who, you know, doesn't need a lift and I feel is looking just for a mild um, uh, augmentation that's natural, or my favorite is someone who's already had a, a, a breast implants in, in the past and they're looking to cover it or get a little bit more volume. I love doing fat transfers on those, you know, just yeah. a, a few hundred cc's per side. And the patient just has to realize that it's not like the butt. When we put in the butt fat, we put fat in the butt for a BBL, you know, we can get a liter to survive, you know, sometimes two liters can survive. It's not a problem, yeah. but in the breast, it's just a lot less or you get problems. Yeah. And the other thing that I find patients don't understand is the smaller your breast is to begin with, the less fat I can get into it. If you have those postpartum breasts that are like classically deflated, there's no glandular tissue, um, hasn't been replaced by fat and it's really just skin. I don't really have anywhere to put the fat. And I think a lot of patients think that when we transfer fat, it's basically like an implant, except yes. it's made out of fat. Exactly. But we don't put one huge glob of fat in the breast. <laughs> that's You're going to end up point. with a lot of problems. Yeah. So guys, it's, it, that's a really good point. Dr. Plant says it's when you're putting fat, you're basically putting little beads on a string of fat in all kinds of directions and fanning it out. And those fat needs 
needs other fat cells and more importantly, blood vessels around it to, to supply it. So it gets, it can get very complicated very quickly. So I think just to summarize it is, you know, not everyone is a good candidate for fat transfer. If everyone was, I think implants would go out of business, but with our, with our mm. current technology, um, you know, not everyone's a candidate. It's a great question. I like when people ask about it. Um, and so if you're someone who's listening to podcasts, thinking about fat transfer, definitely ask if you're a candidate. And I think if you're getting implants, breast, like traditional breast implants or, or thinking about it, fat can be a great way to enhance your result and make it more naturally. And that's probably what I can say is the most common yes for um, fat transfers when I'm doing it with an implant or to improve the appearance of a previous implant. Yeah, it's awesome. And like thin patients to cover mm -hmm. up the sides so you don't see rippling or anything like that. Beautiful add-on. Yeah. I probably don't add it on enough, to be honest. <laughs> I think I will more. After this. Uh, okay, so then what about the patient who's had a botched breast surgery where it's, it's really bad? Like, uh, I, I don't know, there's so much possibilities that it could be really bad, but someone mm -hmm. who's listening in, they're trying to learn more about breast surgery. It went wrong. You know, they went to uh, an unnamed country, had some breast surgery, it comes back. How do you approach those patients? So, I mean, the first thing I would say to any of those patients that haven't yet walked into my office or another doctor's office, don't go in hot and talk about how yes. your other doctor was awful, how he botched you or she botched you. And um, it's going to be very off-putting because... Immediately when someone says that to me, I'm thinking, well, I haven't seen you yet, but you're very upset. And, you know, unless I achieve absolute perfection, which frankly is impossible in any plastic surgery, let alone revision, then maybe you're going to be in one of my colleagues office talking about what a horrible guy I am and saying how I botched things. Um, so right there, that's a red flag where I'm thinking like, unless this truly is like surgical misadventure or malpractice, um, I don't like the word botched personally. Yes. yes. Um, I'd it's like to think every surgeon tried their best and complications do happen. It's very true. I, I mean, I use the word because it's so common and the general public yeah. uses it and it, it, it kind of hits to the matter like botch, you know, yeah. as soon as someone says botch, you know, okay, this is a bad result plus surgery, but I do agree. Patients need to understand even good surgeons have problems. And sometimes there's, there's problems that no one has control over um, that can give to a bad result. But I, I agree with you. You know, if you've, if you're listening to the podcast and you've had a black, bad plastic surgery result and you're looking to get it fixed, most of us plasters want to help you want to fix you, but you just have to realize that number one, doing revision surgery is difficult. And that's why a lot of people won't even, won't even open that can of worms. And the second mm -hmm. thing is, you know, approach it with an attitude of improvement. So, you know, we want to improve the way you look and fix the things that have gone wrong, but to achieve perfection is impossible. And if, if you're someone in that attitude of seeking perfection, you're probably only going to end up disappointed. Yeah. Though anyone chasing absolute perfection is never going to be happy and they're going to end up with so many procedures in the end that they have such scar tissue that it ends up way worse than it was in the first place. Mm -hmm. um, you know, how many times during residency did we hear the enemy of good is better? Many times. It is very true. And then the, the other, I guess the other nice saying that from residency is, uh, you know, the, the breasts are sisters, not twins. 
And so, yeah. you know, and it's another thing is if you're thinking about breast surgery and you're looking at your breasts in the mirror, realize that they're never going to be perfectly identical. I've, you know, done hundreds. And if you pair them, probably I've seen thousands of breasts. <laughs> uh, and then, you know, they're never identical. And after surgery, they're still not going to be identical. Even if we, your surgeon, you know, gives you different implant size, does a different lift, does everything possible to address all the uh, asymmetries. They're never going to be perfectly symmetric. Yeah, that's a very good point. Um, absolute perfect symmetry just doesn't exist in nature. It is not something that can be created in living things. Um, and although many surgeons do think they are gods, um, whatever you believe in, we are imperfect to begin <laughs> with. So how can people who think they're gods make you any better than, you know, arguably the real one if you believe in it? Well, and, and that would be for the people at home that are, you know, considering breast surgery, you're listening to this podcast. And if you take good pictures of your breast, and what I mean by that is, you know, from the front, from the sides with good lighting, um, use a picture stand or get someone to take it from you. And you really look at your breasts before your surgeon. I think it's a great exercise because you can see what we see and you can sometimes learn things about your body that you didn't know. Like, for example, I had a woman who, who came in the other day who had something called pectus excavatum. And so what, what that means is her sternum went really deep in and she wanted um, uh, more cleavage. So I just needed to point out on her chest that she has this very deep concave chest and then there's risks with trying to put the implants too close. Anyway, the, the end result was great, but it was just an exercise where she has a chest shape that she didn't even know was kind of a, an abnormal chest shape or not. I guess abnormal is not a bad word. It's a natural variation, but it's not a yes. standard <laughs> breast shape a standard chest shape and all these things will influence your breast surgery. So take your good photos and look at your breasts beforehand. And then when you come in and I'm like, well, your nipples are at different height, your breasts are at different height, your chest is, then you're like, yeah, I, I see that. I, I, I totally, I do see that. Yeah. And photos always show more than the mirror. So, yes. you know, having good photos is not a sub, like it's way better than kind of looking at yourself in the mirror and trying to find these things. It, it never looks the same. Even in real life, when we examine stuff and then when I look at a photo of it, I always see things a little bit differently than I did in person. That's such a good point. And so now what I always do is uh, I have the photos up in the OR. I don't know if you do that. Um, I, yeah, sometimes. I, I used to do that always with rhinoplasty and now I do it with every surgery because I do find that the photos, just for whatever reason, your, it, your brain is looking at it differently than when you're in person, uh, you see more. And so uh, I find that very helpful. Um, yeah, absolutely. Tips for surgeons. So, That's right. <laughs> so we're coming up on half an hour and I uh, hope you enjoyed listening to this kind of uh, smorgasbord of breast rants and breast tips and breast questions. And we're going to deep dive more in subsequent episodes on specific breast procedures, but this was just an overview. So I don't know what else you need to add. Yeah, I think uh, this is a good place to stop this episode and um, you know, we'll pick it up on the individual breast procedures. So now that you all kind of have a sense of what you might need based on what you think with your breasts, you know, which of the next episodes to click on. Bye for now.